We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today on the timeline, the summer suns finally go down in Mikhail Bridges' revenge game. And we answer your questions. We just got done watching the Phoenix Suns lose to the Philadelphia 76ers in the Summer League Tournament, and I think Greg Esposito said it best when he said, Today is the day that DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, and Ellie Okobo officially became Suns, and I think <laughs> I agree with that. Sam, how you doing? Uh, pretty good, Mike. I have to say I agree with the Espo's assessment there. Um, it would have been nice to get four wins in a row, but we knew this was coming eventually. Yeah, it was really the first game that I would say was a bad DeAndre Ayton game. It mm-hmm. didn't look good for him. I, I didn't expect him to play perfectly in every game. <laughs> it is kind of fun to see how engaged Suns fans were in this game, including me. I was kind of pacing around my house like a child. <laughs> it was it was interesting for sure. I mean, I think this was a game of runs. The Suns had a couple of really great runs where it was almost seeming like we were distancing ourselves away from the Sixers uh, in the first half, early on in the second half, and then the Sixers sort of just took control and never relented until we made that one last push um, towards the end of the game. I think I've said previously on the podcast that I'm expecting fewer blowout losses this season, and that's that's still true. But another thing about being a young team without much experience is you should expect a lot of come-from-behind wins for the other team, like a lot of blown games sort of in clutch situations. And coaching always helps with that. But I think of an example like the Minnesota Timberwolves the past year. They finally became a good team. They were a playoff team, and yet I think they were one of the leaders in the NBA in terms of just those blown losses in the last five or ten minutes of games because they relied so much on their youth. So 
I, I don't think if you're a Suns fan, this is going to be the last time we see situations like these. Yeah, I think the Timberwolves had one of the worst uh, three third quarter stats or something like that. But the good thing is that the Suns fans are used to that. That's something that we're prepared for. <laughs> yeah, we're, pre- we're prepared for <laughs> uh, We've seen that happen a lot. Yeah, we're definitely prepared for this. Uh, let's talk about Aiton yeah. a little bit. So I want to talk about two concepts with Aiton. Uh, the first concept is offensive spacing. And the second one is positioning in the post. And... What Aiton is good at so far, from what I've seen, is offensive spacing when he's not trying to get position in the post. So that means that on drives, setting picks, maybe on rim runs, he's able to find the small space uh, in, in, in the paint. Now, it's difficult to talk about spacing for a big man. It's easy easy for a three-point shooter to space the floor. You can just stand five feet behind the three-point line uh, like Ryan Anderson does on the Houston Rockets. Or just kind of move around around screens to to space the floor but for a center to space the floor on the move when offenses are moving they have to move in small spaces underneath the basket and Aiton has been really good at that so far but where he's suffered where he's played really badly in my opinion is actually sealing off or, or actually gaining post position now a lot has been made about the guards that play for the Suns and their inability to pass the ball into him in the post but part of that is on DeAndre Ayton he's not fighting for that position he's not using his big body to to really fight for that Um, have you noticed this too yeah unfortunately I have and and we don't mean to pile on DeAndre Ayton because this was his first bad game out of the four games but I think it it was clear that he wasn't he was sort of disengaged uh, in this game for the Suns. And if you look at the five starters in this game, Bridges, Bender, Shaquille Harrison, Reed, and Aiton, Aiton clearly had the worst game of the bunch, which is a bit surprising given um, some of the criticisms uh, criticisms we've had of some of those other players like Dragon Bender in the past. But yeah, Aiton overall had six turnovers in this game, and a lot of it had to do with that offensive positioning, just like you were talking about. When the double teams came in this game, he often was blindsided. Uh, actually, and Philly was just able to strip the ball away from him relatively easily. Well, it's kind of weird. Offensively, when he played for the University of Arizona, he more commonly faced up from the free throw line area than posted up. But so far in Summer League, we've been looking to post him up, especially in the first quarter, a lot. Now, I don't know if this is because it's Summer League and they want him to get good at posting up so that he can be an effective post player once he does uh, get into the NBA, but it seems like we're sort of, he's not much of a post player. I mean, for how big he is, that wasn't a huge part of his offense when he played for University of Arizona. He likes face-up jumpers. He's good off the dribble with maybe one dribble and two steps towards the basket and getting fouled a lot of times in that uh, type of possession. But we're forcing the ball to him in the post. Now, I don't think this is a bad thing. I think that he will be a good post player eventually, and, and I think that we do need to to really work on uh, those post moves with him and sealing off and getting proper position and working underneath the basket. But it's not really his game right now. So a lot of people thinking that this is a bad sign for him. I don't really think that's the case. I think yeah, he'll, he'll be fine. Of course, it's just one game. Uh, but it is kind of weird that we're forcing the ball into him in the post so much. I would actually like to see him catch the ball mm-hmm. on the high post more often and face up and see what he can do from that position. He can see over the defense. He can pass. He can shoot that mid-range shot. He doesn't hesitate when he gets it. Uh, kind of like we used Amare in the 2010 season 
uh, you know, really giving it to him. Maybe he's got his back to the basket and he turns around and he faces up against the defense and sees what he can do there. So we'll see if that's something that we uh, we get more to in the future. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I just want to say that elbow area really should be Aiton's bread and butter. Um, and, and we've seen Igor in the past talk about using his center in a playmaking role. Um, having him at the elbow, just like you said, where he can see over the defense, that's probably the best place for him right now to not only create for himself, but create for others. And he can still play in the dunker position, but when you play in the dunker position, so you're playing in the low post, a lot of times that's where you play off the ball. That's where we see DeAndre Jordan sort of get his bread and butter or any center that's played for the Warriors. It's always Draymond Green catching the ball at the three-point line with no one guarding him, cutting in and throwing a lob pass to the dunker in the dunker position who only touches the ball for a third of a second as they slam it into the basket. Uh, it's not, I don't know, it's not really much to complain about right now because I do understand why they want him to get the ball in the post but it's just post offenses are not the most efficient offenses in the NBA, and clearly we're not very good at getting him the ball in the post. We still need to work on it. It's still something that he has to get better at. I would just like to see him touch the ball in different ways and maybe the, the offense work a little differently than trying to force force it to him in, in the post. Even DeMarcus Cousins, who uh, you know is, is a fantastic post player, still is not the most efficient player out of the post. So even some of the best ones in the NBA – aren't that efficient Shaquille Harrison though yeah better than Marcus Smart <laughs> he was fantastic and did Marcus Smart I actually meant to research this before the podcast I didn't so sorry for that did Marcus Smart ever have a summer league this good I'd be willing to say no because <laughs> Shaquille Harrison is a boss right now I mean he's he boomed the Sixers uh with some of his plays mm-hmm. today he had 17 points uh eight rebounds six assists three steals another Good game for Shaq, and um, I don't know. I mean, there's there's still something to be made for the idea that the Suns target uh, Taya Dosich or a Beverly, bring in some sort of other point guard because Brandon Knight as our starting point guard could end up being disastrous. But right now, with the way it's looking, we have 15 guys and 15 roster spots as of today, and I think as of today, Shaq is probably the rightful opening day backup point guard. I think he's earned the playing time over a Kobo, who has a young guy. I mean, they're both young guys, but I think Akobo would have to sort of earn his playing time over the course of a season. I think Shaq gets those 10 or 15, maybe even 20 backup minutes from night one, unless we make a move. Well, it should be said that Shaquille Harrison played 31 minutes. Akobo played one minute, injured. Hopefully he's fine. We'll try and get some news out there on our Twitter or on Reddit as soon as we find out what's wrong. But he got two assists in that one minute, so... It could be said that if he played 31 minutes, he would have probably had 62 assists. <laughs> I guess that could be said. Breaking the um, Scott Skiles is that the all-time assist leader? Something with like 30 something. I think so. He would have get. Yeah, I think it was 31 like assists. Yeah, look, and and there's something to yeah. be made of the fact that Shaq still just shot six of 14 from the field. He shot five of eight from the free throw line. The poor homeless man's Russell Westbrook comparisons make a little bit of sense. Uh, in the sense that he's such a high-usage player sometimes, and you don't want him to be reckless with the ball. Um, I guess he reminds me a little bit of Ish Smith in that way. His offense has such a long way to come, but defensively, he's such a pest right now, and and that's why I think it's fair to compare him to Marcus Smart. I'm not saying they're equal players, because Marcus Smart has several seasons of NBA experience. Shaq has like 20 games at the end of last season. But in the sense that I think both of them are for the most part, garbage offensive players, but fantastic defensive players. Yeah, I would say that I'd rather have Shaq for one and a half million over Marcus Smart for 10 million. 
Well, the other part that makes them similar players is that their effort, their energy is infectious. Now, the Suns went down pretty big in the game close to the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, and Shaq Harrison's effort and energy is what brought the whole team back into the game. That kind of player who really puts it all out there and gives it his all, even almost got hurt on some possessions, fought for steals, uh, you know, drove to his left 15 times in a row. That that kind of effort and energy and, and that attitude to never give up, that's infectious. And, and those types of players are needed on the Suns especially because we've had so much losing recently. Someone like that that says, I will not give up, that's necessary. And hopefully Josh Jackson will be another player like that too because he's got that kind of will to win and he's a defender too. And it's usually those defensive players that do that we, we had pj tucker probably most recently on the suns as the best example of a player who just doesn't give up and continues to fight yeah Shaq definitely has the opportunity to be our point guard version of tucker um yeah i, I want to keep him i mean we're gonna have the discussion in a little bit because we're going through all of your guys mailbag questions and some of you asked about this um but if it comes down to us making another big move this offseason and we need to get rid of a roster spot um, or we need to create an open roster spot, excuse me, Shaq is not the guy that I want us to be getting rid of with the way he's played in Summer League. And so the Suns have one more opportunity to play in Summer League. They're going to play tomorrow. When we're recording this immediately after the game. So they're going to play on Friday at 3.30 Arizona time. So it'll be interesting to see them one more time. Uh, you know, Davon Reed has played really well. Shaq Harrison's played really well. Mikhail Bridges was really impressive in this game, especially in the first half. Um, and that's really all I have to say about it. Do you have any other notes you want to talk about from the uh, last few summer league games? Um, no, that's about it. I mean, I, I would just say one thing. I think our offense, for the most part, hasn't been clicking. We won those first three games on the basis of our defense. Uh, we shot really well in the first game. Since then, we actually haven't shot that well. Again, tonight, we shot just 5 for 20 from three-point range, just 25%. Um, so I think Booker's going to help a lot. And uh, Remember, Josh Jackson wasn't in this game, and I think Booker's going to help out a lot when he's on the floor. Um, maybe others like Brandon Knight and Trevor Reza will will provide that extra spacing and little oomph to the offense. But uh, overall, the, the offense still needs some work. We're still figuring things out. I think what you need to like about the Summer League Suns is the defensive intensity so far. That's really encouraging for the upcoming season. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to harp on this, but that's exactly my point about forcing the ball early, especially in the first quarter, into the low post for DeAndre Ayton. It just doesn't seem necessary. It throws off the rhythm of the offense. The idea of Igor Igor's offense is that it's this ball movement offense with players cutting off the ball, all kinds of screens being set all over the court. And running a sort of stagnant low post offense in the first quarter, that, that's not... I, I mean, anyone who's played basketball understands how that can be a little frustrating. Nobody gets their hands on the ball early. I mean, it turned into a few turnovers tonight. So, I don't know. It's definitely something they can work on in the future. But just as you noted, we got a bunch of questions to answer. So let's get directly into our mailbag. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? All right, so I want to thank everyone for sending all kinds of questions for us. I would say 99% of these are from Reddit. We got one from Twitter, so thank you to Alessandro Cozy, who sent us a question on Twitter. Thank you to Alessandro Cozy for being like our OG Twitter follower, too, for spreading the word, for interacting with us. Please interact with us on Twitter, because we promise we'll, we'll respond back, even if you don't say nice things. It's, yeah, give us some love. 
But yeah, thank you to Reddit, obviously, for for all of these questions. And most of them are even serious. We did get some silly ones as well, and we'll still answer those because, you know, it's it's part of the part of what we do. It's here. part of so Reddit. Let's get I right in. <laughs> uh, I was expecting, not going to lie, guys, I was expecting 95% bullshit. So I'm actually proud of you guys over at Reddit for, for giving us some actual discussion I'm a little disappointed. Here. I wanted the bullshit. <laughs> let's start with the I question. Don't know. I, I don't think it would have been... Yeah, let's start with the questions. We have like 40 questions to answer, so this is going to take a while. We're going to try and fly through some of them, maybe spend a little more time on the ones that are more detailed questions. But let's start with the uh, from the Reddit user Baba Lorisha. <laughs> we should probably address this. Yeah. Will Sam buy a new microphone and not sound like he's broadcasting from a cavern? Yeah, so that that was a fuck up on my part, just recording on the wrong microphone <laughs> last time. I hope this one sounds a little better. It's the one I was using for the first several episodes. Uh, hopefully it's good enough for you. If not, please send like $300 directly to my bank account so I can upgrade my microphone again because with the $0.00 <laughs> and zero cents we're currently making on this podcast, I don't have the budget to uh, upgrade the technology currently. Yeah, it was a, it, we both messed up there. I, I didn't realize he was recording from his laptop mic. I could have noticed. He didn't notice either. Uh, we just messed up. So hopefully it won't sound like that in the future. But let's get to some of the more serious questions. I think he was just joking with us. So let's start with our single Twitter question. In your opinion, apart from Booker for entertainment purposes and the rookies for obvious reasons, who's the player on the roster more likely to have a breakout season? I'll start with my answer here. Hopefully it's different than yours. I said Josh Jackson. I think that this is the season that Josh Jackson could really take a step forward. Now, it's hard to say this after his summer league games, but if Josh Jackson had played in this most recent summer league game, I think we would have won. He has the opportunity to show he's a great defender. Now, we've surrounded him with better offensive players. We're going to have DeAndre Ayton in the game. He's probably going to play some minutes with Trevor Ariza, Mikhail Bridges, of course, Devin Booker. He's not going to have that kind of pressure on him offensively to take shots uh, you know, uh, as much as he did previously. And I think in the role that he's going to have on this team, it's exactly the kind of player that he is. So it's really a great situation for him, and I really hope that he can prove it. I promise I didn't think of my answer uh, during this game. I thought about it before the game. So Shaq Harrison is actually the guy that I went with. <laughs> um, and look, I, I recognize there's a really wide range of possible outcomes for Harrison next season. He could completely bust, not be in the NBA anymore after next season. Or I think he could be a great player just because I think Brandon Knight has so much potential to be disastrous that if we don't make a move for a point guard, I could see Harrison suddenly be thrust into a, a 25, 30 minute per game starting role um, and become sort of the next Patrick Beverly. Uh, we've been clamoring over Patrick Beverly, but I think that really is sort of uh, like a best case scenario for uh, something that would help out this entire culture, not just our defense from a basketball standpoint, but the culture as a whole next season. Uh, again, I'm not really saying that I think that's going to happen. I'm just saying. Maybe it's a possibility. Uh, and also, I'd throw out Marquise Chris just as a name. I haven't seen any evidence currently because we haven't seen anything from Chris this summer. He hasn't played in Summer League, but that's sort of just one of my gut feelings that it would be nice if Chris can have a bit of a bounce back third year. Well, one thing with Chris is he came into the season out of shape, and he yeah. looks like he's in great shape. From the last I saw of a, on his birthday, the, the Suns posted a video. He looked like he was in great shape. So that alone could make a difference going into the season. Another shout-out to another player, 
uh, TJ Warren. I think that's an obvious one. It, the thing is with TJ Warren is it's the same every year. If he fixes his three-point shot, he could be incredible. He could be one of the most effective offensive players in the NBA if he, if he fixed his uh, three-point shot. So I'm not going to say that it will happen, but if this is the season that it does happen, it would be huge for the team and for TJ Warren's career, and he would be on a steal of a contract if that does happen. So that's another player that I would uh, note for that question. All right, next question. Another one from Reddit, user Bill Murray. Yes, that Bill Murray, I assume. Always nice. Yeah. <laughs> Always nice to see the celebrity support, especially for a, for a startup like us. So thanks to Bill. We'll never forget that Bill Murray also played basketball in Space Jam. That is a really good point. Mm-hmm. I, see, I thought Bill Murray was just a huge Chicago fan, so it is a little bit surprising to, to see him with this <laughs> Phoenix pod. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to judge. You can hop on the bandwagon, Bill. It's all right. A lot of people are doing it right now. All right, so he sent us a few questions, so let's kind of fly through them here. This one is hard to read for me, but if DeAndre Ayton has a disappointing rookie season, what does that look like to us? You start first with this one. Um, yeah, this is one of the questions that I think it's going to be maybe a disappointing answer for me, but I think you can't measure it with like a stat line, with box score stats. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a reminder. Anthony Davis in his rookie season averaged 13 points, 8 rebounds per game on 56% true shooting. Okay stats, not like anything indicating a future Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Jalil Okafor, in his rookie season, averaged 17.7 rebounds, a block and a half a game on 54% true shooting. The difference between those two, you would think Okafor would end up being the better player. Um, So (laughs) obviously we know that's not the case. So my real answer here is that it's not going to show up on a stat sheet. We need to delve deeper into Aiton's game. So for me, a disappointing rookie season really is if he doesn't show any sort of improvement in terms of his defensive awareness um, and if he shows any sort of problems with creating for himself in the post, as we were just talking about, uh, but most importantly, shot selection, how he reacts when the double teams come, um, if he's passing out to the right shooters, if he's buying into Igor's offense. It's going to be all of those little things that we're going to be analyzing throughout the season from a stats perspective, it might not be amazing immediately. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's going to average 15 or 20 points per game his rookie season, um, but if he doesn't do that, it's not a black mark on his career. Now, what I think about this question, now I didn't really think about it statistic-wise, but if he does have a disappointing rookie season, however we choose to measure that, it's a huge disaster for the team. It's our first number one pick ever, but the worst part about it is McDonough's contract is up after next season, not this coming season, but the next season. And Sarver has clearly gave him the mandate to start winning. So what I think that means is if the rookie season is disappointing for DeAndre Ayton, this is when they start making... This is when you can start talking about trades that maybe wouldn't benefit us in the long term, but would benefit us in the short term. And those are dangerous trades when we've spent so much time building this team from the draft. I don't want to give up on any young players too early. That's that's the type of thing where all of a sudden around the trade deadline, you start hearing about Josh Jackson on the trade market or, or other players that we don't want to necessarily part with this early. So it does scare me that that could happen because I don't want McDonough trying to make trades for his life for his gm life if you will i want this team to grow slowly especially with the huge teams that are in the west you know with lebron on the lakers and of course the warriors so i really hope that doesn't happen because there could be some bad moves coming if that does now the next question from bill murray uh, if dragon bender did the bare minimum to justify kakashkov starting him by february 
what would he have done? Uh, so this is an interesting question. I'll start here. I would say if he's shooting about 40% from three, hopefully over 40% from three, and he plays good defense regularly and lowers his turnover rate, that might be all it takes because he actually is a great fit uh, next to DeAndre Ayton if that's what he does. He just has to make threes. He just has to play defense, and he's got to lower those turnovers. I know he thinks that he is a good passer, but there's no evidence of that yet. There, there's just, there just isn't. There isn't. He doesn't and i know he wants to be and i like that he wants to be but he's not it's not a natural thing for him he you know that means that the passes have to come easier he can't force it underneath he has to pay attention when he's passing it out of bounds he almost threw it to the other team again today which i started sweating just from that alone but what do you think do, do you agree with that yeah i 100% agree with you the only thing i would add is that um, uh, shooting and defense isn't necessarily enough because that's already what Trevor Reza does. I think another thing that Bender would need to do to really have an advantage over a non-natural power forward like Trevor Reza is start rebounding like he's 7-1. For the past two seasons, he's been hovering around this six rebounds per 36-minute rate, which is really bad. I mean, he's he's like as good of a rebounder as Trevor Reza, and he's several inches taller than Reza. So I think if Bender could get more into like the seven, eight, eight and a half rebound per 36 minute, you know, up that rebound rate, um, play a little bigger. I know he's added some muscle in addition to being a good shooter and a switchable defender. Then that really sort of gives him the advantage. He's a capable starting power forward and a good role player at that point. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, next question. What would a TJ Warren trade during the season look like? Do you have any TJ Warren trade options? The, the, the only thing I noticed is... is the only way that I think we would trade TJ Warren is if a really good point guard or really good power forward on similar to the timeline that we have on this team, I would say if those become available, I think that's the only way. Ken- the Kemba Walker is one that everyone throws mm-hmm. out. I think that's one of the really one of the only ways that we would look to trade TJ Warren. I just don't think it's going to happen, so I didn't want to research it too much. What do you? Well, think? I don't think Kemba. I think yeah, Kemba Walker and Kevin Love were the two big names that everyone wants to throw out, but both of those guys are free agents next summer, so it doesn't really make sense anymore for us mm-hmm. to gamble on them and then pretend like. Are we even going to be better than the Hornets next year? Not necessarily. So we don't want to gamble everything on Kemba and then have him leave us in the offseason after we traded TJ Warren, who's like a legitimate piece and not just a project. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's becoming less likely that we actually see a TJ Warren trade unless it's for a player who is an upgrade over Warren. So it'll be a package of Warren, maybe one of Chris and Bender, multiple picks, something like that to get some sort of all-star caliber player with multiple years of contractual control left. I think that's the key that McDonough and the front office are looking for in terms of contract flexibility. Do I have any actual names for you guys right now? No, I don't, because it's actually pretty hard to find players in those sorts of positions where teams are actively trying to move them. Uh, But maybe something will open up in the next six months. You never know. I understand why TJ Warren is thrown out there as the most obvious trade uh, target for the Suns because he's one of our only high upside players that's making a decent amount of money. A lot of our greatest players are, are players on rookie contracts. It's difficult to trade them for great players because a lot of great players are already making a ton of money. TJ Warren makes yeah, I don't know, 14 12. million or something like that. So it makes sense to, to try and trade him. Yeah. I think that McDonough signed him. I think McDonough sees him as a good piece, a high upside player. I don't see it. I just don't see it happening, at least not for the names that have been thrown out. Something unexpected always happens in the season. Players that you don't expect to be available become available, so we'll see. 
what happens there. Uh, next question from Bill Murray, the last one from him. What position does Trevor Ariza start at on opening night? Um, of course he's going to start. Uh, I said forward because I have a feeling that it's going to be some sort of combination of TJ Warren and Trevor Ariza in the starting lineup. And it's probably going to start with TJ Warren technically playing the power forward position because Trevor Ariza makes more money and he'll probably want to be told that he's playing whatever position he wants to play. I just think it's going to be an interchangeable three, four forward position uh, in that starting lineup. I don't know for sure though. I, I think that Kukoshkov said that all starting positions are up for grabs. So who knows? Yeah, he's. I think that Trevor Ariza will start. He said there. that, but I just I don't see like how would he justify starting Ariza at the three and Bender at the four and then bringing Warren and Jackson off the bench? I just don't don't see how you can do that. I mean, obviously, if he thinks yeah. that's best for the team, the players will maybe buy in and and whatever. But I, I think Ariza has to start at the four if we're talking from a traditional position perspective. But really, in terms of our scheme, it's going to be more like just two generic forwards don't even necessarily think like the small our small forward and power forward will be playing unless bender chris is on the floor where they're natural fours um our small forward and power forward will basically be playing the same position they're just going to be two wings the traditional phrase that coaches like to say is you are who you guard and if we think about it this way the three forwards that we have that are going to be competing for those two starting forward positions are josh jackson tj warren uh, and uh, Trevor Reza. And who out of those three players is the best at defending a power forward? It's Ariza. So uh, here's the thing that I like about this Ariza contract. He's on a one-year deal. That means that he is in a contract year by definition. He He's up for a new contract as soon as this year ends. That means that whether he likes it or not, if we need him to play power forward, he's going to have to play power forward and he's going to have to do well at it because he has to prove that he's going to be valuable when he turns 34 at the beginning of next season. And if he wants a contract that pays him that sort of retiring contract, that last contract that you sort of can retire on, he's got to do it. And I think the that Tyson means that Chandler the special. likely scenario... Right. The likely scenario is Trevor Ariza guarding power forwards in that starting lineup. And I love that. I think that's a great option. You know, I've been talking about it since our first podcast really all right next one from reddit user oblo memes <laughs> the, uh, the names are the best part of this episode by the way yeah probably the great debate he said bridges versus jackson versus warren well you already name. failed oblo if that is your real name because i don't see a question mark anywhere in this but i will indulge you uh you want me to take this one or do you want to start with it mike you go ahead uh, okay, I mean, I we're going to agree on this. I mean, currently, TJ Warren is probably the best player between these three. I don't expect Mikhail Bridges, even if he is a little bit older, to... First of all, I don't expect him to get a ton of playing time if we keep this logjam. I don't see how Bridges would play more than, like, 15, 20 minutes per game in his rookie season without some sort of injuries. Uh, so, And I also don't expect him to be better than a 20-point-per-game score in TJ Warren his, his first season. But the unique advantage that Bridges has, unless one of these other two guys can develop a shot, is that he really is that pure sort of 3-and-D Trevor Ariza-type mold, uh, which potentially makes him the most valuable of the three going forward in a best-case scenario. Now, we've already seen Josh Jackson play for a season, and his defensive versatility, his athleticism uh, is off the charts. So I think that the safe ranking for the future would probably be something like Josh Jackson first, TJ Warren second, Mikhail Bridges third. But Mikhail Bridges, if he shows us any sort of potential at all this rookie season, instantly shoots up 
in that ranking um, past uh, Warren and potentially even past Jackson, depending on how well he does, because that shooting is so valuable. Yeah, I, I, the way I wrote it is c- the current rankings are T.J. Warren, Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, but the future rankings, maybe two, three seasons from now, are Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, and T.J. Warren actually having the least amount of potential. Not that T.J. Warren is not good. He's obviously a, a really great player. But I do see a scenario where Mikhail Bridges leapfrogs Josh Jackson in the uh, in the lineup in, in this coming season because of his potential uh, from the three-point line, and he still has that defensive potential, very similar potential to Josh Jackson. So Josh Jackson... I think it's good for it's good for both of them ultimately because that competition uh, it's going to be great and I do think there is a possibility that they end up being our starting three and four of the future so them competing right now it's going to be good for them and those two guys playing together as two defensive stoppers on the wings that's going to be really fun to see and we can all still hope for Point Booker because if Point Booker works out and we can do uh, you know Point Guard Booker. Mikhail Bridges to Josh Jackson three it's just too enticing especially in this year with Trevor Reza at the four that's three incredible defensive wings with Booker at the one it's just that that sounds really fun to watch so I hope that works out Um, but yeah I think we both agree on that one all right next one from reddit user Tizdu a brand new mod in the Phoenix Suns reddit he said do you think a baby could eat another baby this is absolutely this is absolutely ridiculous. No. A baby couldn't eat another baby. Here's what I wrote. No teeth. Yeah, no teeth. I mean, unless you want to blend no it teeth. and put it in a smoothie, then I or a soup, <laughs> I guess like then maybe it could happen, but a baby probably doesn't know how to use a blender, tis do. So, you know, I expect better from you and you know, you're a new mod, you're still getting the hang of this. He'll he'll come up with better questions <laughs> in the future. I thought way too hard about this question, though, I will say. I spent a lot of time thinking about if there's any possible way a baby could eat another baby. I didn't think about a blender because that's very dark. <laughs> All right, next one from Reddit user jloey 13 <laughs> And you know what's funny about pronouncing these names is how they pronounce it in their head is probably completely different to how I'm pronouncing it. I think Tizdu and Bill Murray were the only ones I've been sure about so far. Okay, so he said, hey guys, big fan of the new pod. Thank you, Jay Lowy. Uh, he would love to hear us talk about where we see the Suns' young core ranking among the other young cores in the league. He said that the most hated uh, podcaster, Nate Duncan, did this on Dunked On. <laughs> I don't like him. Uh, and he wanted to hear us do it. And neither do I, but the most hated is, is just a funny He funny is expression. a basketball robot. He's <laughs> Anyway, we'll talk more about Nate Duncan another time, I'm sure. Uh, I'll start with my rankings. Uh, I said number one, I keep vacillating. I'm going to say 1A and 1B. These two teams are tied probably. I'm going to say Celtics and 76ers, and I actually give Celtics the edge a little bit in this. It's just the Celtics have done so well drafting every player they've drafted, they've hit on. If you even say the 76ers, you, you know, we can't forget that. The 76ers did draft Nerlens Noel, Jaleel Okafor, and uh, Markel Fultz. Um, you know, they... Wait, but, but I, I'm going to need a definition because we didn't actually think about this beforehand. I'm going to need a definition of what constitutes a young core. Like, are Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward part of a young core? 
No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't I, include Gordon Hayward in 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 that. I, I might include Kyrie Irving, but in my mind, actually, I was just really thinking about uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those two guys. Oh, you're wild. <laughs> Keep explaining, but you're, you're a wild one. I think that the potential that those two have, and the type of position that they drafted. I'm all about wings. I'm all about wings. If you couldn't tell, I've been, I, you know, the first pa- podcast we talked about Trevor Reza. I'm obsessed with Mikael Bridges currently. I just think that that is the most versatile position, and they can play anywhere from two to four. And in the playoffs, they play five a lot of times. These guys are the types of players that you want. And the only other option, if you rank higher than them, is the 76ers. And the fact that the 76ers have their three best young core players can't shoot from the three, that matters. It's It just matters. It, you know, Ben Simmons is, I don't think he's ever going to be a great three point shooter. And if he is, look out because that's going to be insane. Marco Fultz does not know how to shoot currently. And I, I don't like to talk about Joel Embiid after he slandered our number one pick. But Joel Embiid, probably the best three-point shooter out of them. And you don't want him shooting threes. That's just not where you want him. So you can say the 76ers have a better core than the Celtics. And it does make sense. But they're flawed. And there's not a lot of flaws in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's game. Now that Jalen Brown can shoot and Jason Tatum appears to be able to play within a team defensive system. So here's the thing, though. It's very possible that the Suns, who are the next on my list, leapfrog those teams and are the number one young core by the end of this season. I think Devin Booker actually is currently the most valuable player out of all of those players. The only one, maybe you can make an argument against, you know, against that is probably Ben Simmons and even Joel Embiid, but the Joel Embiid injury concerns, that throws him right out of there. And Ben Simmons' inability to shoot, that that that's going to matter, especially in the playoffs. We just saw how it sunk them in the playoffs and and, you know, you could say Devin Booker's defensive concerns are what hurt him. And I agree with that. But, I mean, we just saw what James Harden did in the playoffs as well. I think the Suns very, very potentially can can pass that. So I would say some combination, probably Celtics, 76ers, Suns. And then I would say Nuggets and then Lakers and Kings after that. And, and the Lakers' young core is probably going to be spread out all over the league by the time uh, LeBron James retires. So I'm not sure you could even count them at this point. All right. It sounds like you disagree with me, though. Let's hear your rankings. Yeah, I've been sitting in quiet judgment this entire time. Not actually, but I think <laughs> I think you're underrating not only us but also the Nuggets. Um, I would probably have the Sixers uh, first, even though I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Joel Embiid. I understand the injury concerns. Mostly, I'm not a fan of Joel Embiid and his personality. I don't think he's that funny, but he's a great player. I can't deny. And and between Simmons. And Embiid and Saric and the potential of faults and all these other guys who have come up through the ranks, Covington, if he still counts as part of that young core, it just, for me, it has to be the Sixers. They have so much more holistically than the Celtics do, where the Celtics, I think you're really only talking about four main guys between um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, uh, and Terry Rozier, who... Um, I'm also a bit shaky on. So, yeah, that's why I have the Celtics a little bit lower. I, I would go 76ers one. I would put us number two, honestly, um, because I think what we have as a entire picture, and it's going to take a little while to find out exactly what DeAndre Aiden is, um, but I think we have a better young core than the Celtics. We cover more positions. We may not have quite the same talent on the wings, but between Josh Jackson and Mikhail Bridges, it's a pretty good start. Then you throw in Devin Booker, you throw in DeAndre Ayton, um, I'm not even going to include Marquise Chris and Trog and Bender because if I include them for us, then I think I need to include like Yabasili and like players like that for 
Boston. Um, but yeah, I would, frankly, I would have us second. I would have the Nuggets third um, because Nikola Jokic is one of the best young players right now out of anyone in the NBA. I love watching the Nuggets and I love watching him play because he defies what we think about modern basketball in a sense, like he's such a bad rim protector, a historically bad rim protector who then also still sort of makes a positive impact defensively and all the other things that he does. And offensively is such a gifted player in terms of his ball movement, in terms of his ability to space the floor, work in the low post. I mean, he can really do it all. Uh, Gary Harris and Jamal Murray there as well. Uh, And then you add Michael Porter Jr. to that mix, who if he, you know, has a back made of sludge and never plays more than 20 games in an NBA season, then admittedly that's going to be a bad pick for the Nuggets. But I think he has so much potential to be one of the top five or at least top 10 players in this draft class that, um, yeah, I think I think the Nuggets are going to su- continue to surprise some people. Uh, after that, the Bucks. I mean, do we consider Giannis to still be part of a young core would be my question to you. I mean, we probably should but because if, I don't. Has, if Giannis Jabari Parker has Jabari Parker resigned? No, there Jabari yet? Parker hasn't resigned. So, it's just so him that's then. why I'm going to say like Giannis really makes or breaks that. I mean, if Giannis is still part of a young core, then Giannis by himself forget Jabari Parker. Giannis with Thon Maker, Malcolm Brogdon, Dante Divincenzo. That's enough to still have one of the best young cores in the NBA. Just because mm-hmm. Giannis is such a, a generational right. talent. But if Giannis doesn't count, then they slide way down the rankings. Um, the Kings are on the come up. The Lakers, uh, I have to include in there as well, somewhere in the six or seven range. But, but yeah, that t- that top four, I, I would probably round out top four with Sixers, Suns, Nuggets, then the Celtics. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think Giannis, I just forgot about him to be honest. And they don't have a lot of other young pieces, um, but he's the best player that we talked about out of all the players that yeah, we just definitely. mentioned. So it makes sense it definitely is. Up. If if um, Divincenzo happens to blow up this season, if Thon Maker finally puts things together, if Malcolm Brogdon comes back with a good third season, uh, any of those things happen, and suddenly the Bucks, just because Giannis is so good, uh, they shoot up those rankings as well into the top two or three. That was a great question. Yeah, Jay it was. Louis. I like that one. It really was. We have so okay, many more to get. So let's go to the next one. Uh, Reddit user Q's656. I'm guessing he's from shout New York. Out yeah. yep. Shout out Syracuse. Yeah. Shout Syracuse, New York. So go he said, Orange. He said kind of a more personal question, which got me a little nervous, but then it's not really. He said, what are the your best and worst hot takes as Suns and sports fans? And I think it's more interesting to talk about my worst. Security number <laughs> was what I was thinking he was going for, but then he didn't. So yeah. yeah, let's talk about our worst takes. So I, mine personally was when Earl Watson was hired, I was really excited. And when he first started doing interviews, I was all in. I was like, man, this guy's great. The stuff he's saying, it's all the right stuff. Uh, you know, we just went through some players not liking our coach. And it seemed like he was like a player guy that the players were going to really get along with. And boy, was I wrong. He was awful. <laughs> just absolutely awful. He didn't make any good in-game decisions. He didn't really get all the players working hard we lost by a combined 800 points in our first three games of his second season so I was way off on that one but it's hard to judge a a coach before they've done any coaching at all so I don't feel too bad about it what about yours um I was drinking the Kool-Aid on Kendall Marshall back in the day (laughs) I thought (laughs) I thought the similarities are uncanny we had just lost Steve Nash I probably had the highlight of that period of Suns basketball was watching Markeith Morris in the Rising Stars game. I, I'm saying that unironically. So, like, you know, consider where we were <laughs> as a fan base 
And I was like, well, he was taken 13th overall. They say he's a pass first point guard. He must be the next Steve Nash, right? Um, yeah, so I was pretty far off on that one, guys. I really thought we had our, our future point guard at the time. Well, a few years from now, we're going to have our hot takes on uh, actual podcasts so people can call us out and talk shit to us on Twitter. In the yeah, future. exactly. I mean, you guys are <laughs> monitoring everything we're saying right now, and we're bound to be wrong on a lot of stuff. But I'll tell you this, Mike will be wrong a lot more often. Well, I disagree. You're already wrong. All right. So <laughs> next one from Reddit user Rice Bledsoe, who's probably playing Splatoon 2 as he <laughs> listens to this. Uh, he's got three questions. Let's kind of fly through them a little quickly here so we can get some more of these questions in. What Suns asset would you trade for John Collins, who's Atlanta's second-year power forward? He said he's in love with that man. And I, you probably agree with me on this, but I think there's no way Atlanta trades him. He, they don't have a lot of high upside players. Maybe Trey Young being yep. their best asset right now. John Collins is their second best asset, I would say. And I just don't think they'll do it. We'd, I think we'd have to get rid of Bridges or Jackson and probably even a little bit more for them to give up on him. I just don't see it happening. I like him a lot, though, too. He's right about that. Yeah, he's probably the most underrated rookie from last year's draft class. Had an insane 62% true shooting percentage. But yeah, I got to agree with you, Mike. They're they're not going to give up on him because if Trey Young busts, they have nothing other than Collins. Right. I mean, they have all of these lower level prospects, good shooters that they drafted uh, in this class that could potentially work out. Uh, but they need John Collins. They're not going to give him up to us. I like John Collins a lot. I like the, I just like players like him who are good at everything. There's like no really skills that they're not good at, and those types of players are there. Nobody will give up on them easily. So, next one, he said, "What 2019 free agents would be ideal at point guard once the Knights option is up? Who would be ideal to come off the bench for eight and to replace Chandler?" Oh, I didn't even see that part of the question. But the first part, just a reminder, Knight is signed for two more years. Uh, so Knight actually won't be gone uh, that quickly. But uh, the point guards that I pointed out, the obvious ones are Kemba and Kyrie. Those are the two big, big names. And I believe Rubio is a free agent too. Rubio played yep. with Igor in Utah, and they seem to have a really great relationship. There's a great article uh, written about their relationship that uh, from some Utah uh, newspaper or something that really delved deep into that. And I think Rubio would be a great fit. Now that he's kind of figured out his three-point shot, he's a great passer. Uh, you know, he plays defense. He's really, he's a competitor. He's Spanish. I'm Spanish, so I got to root for that. Um, but those are the three that I mentioned for point guard. Do you have anybody else besides those three? Yeah, well, um, Kemba and Kyrie are the natural choices if we want to go all in on a max contract player. If the Suns want to kind of go for two pretty good players, uh, which I think may be even more likely, then Rubio is a good choice. Uh, don't forget Dragic is also a free agent. Yes, yeah. Summer. So if you're talking about chemistry with Igor, I mean, Rubio has it. Dragic obviously has mm -hmm. it too. Would he come back to Phoenix for a third stint? I don't know. Ryan McDonough says that their past is behind them. If we offered him enough money and we're a winning team, I think why not? But uh, yeah, Dragic is an option as well. I think he would actually be a really good fit mm -hmm. on this current team. Yeah, he would. And maybe he would even be willing to maybe take a small discount to play with uh, uh, one of his you know friends in, in our coach. And then the, other, the answer to the other question, I just thought of this now, who would be the ideal uh, replacement for Chandler? It's obviously Jack Cooley. It has to be Jack Cooley. Easily. <laughs> All right, next Get one. Get that man a contract. Exactly. Jack Cooley has to play in the NBA. I just He's a towel waver maybe, maybe the last guy off the bench, but it's yeah, so fun to have a guy like that. Yeah. 
Uh, Pat Burke is another one. So he also said, do you see us hanging on to Reed somehow? And I absolutely think yes. I don't think there's any way that we get rid of him after what he's done in Summer League. He's clear, He clearly belongs in the NBA, and his skill set perfectly fits around the team that we're building. I know he's another wing, but he's another wing that plays defense and shoots threes. And he's been doing really well actually running some pick and rolls, which I had no idea was in his game until these Summer League games. So I think that we do keep him. I know uh, the godfather, uh, Gambadoro, uh, said that there's a chance that we don't. He kind of was, he almost reported, he went all the way to the edge on reporting that we would be cutting him, but then didn't. And I don't think that that's going to happen. I think he might be wrong in that report. Let's see. Do you agree with that? Yeah, sorry. I agree with that. I was just, I'm looking at, I'm looking at this sheet. There's so many questions, um, but we'll get through them all. <laughs> don't worry, guys. You, If you're, you know, flipping through the podcast, trying to find your specific question right now might take you a while. But let's move right on to the next one. Um, this could be shitty DK2266, or it's shit, I don't know, 2266. I don't know which one it is. But who's making the 15-man roster? We could keep Shaq and Reed without cutting anyone. But we still need a spot for a third center and or a veteran point guard, in my opinion. Who would be the first you cut? Um, and that's a good point. We currently have those 15 guys on the roster right now. Um, I would say... If we need to get rid of anyone, Troy Daniels is actually the name that I'm looking at right now because Troy Daniels, I think, just doesn't have... I liked him last season because we were so bad and he usually was worth the playing time as one of our less bad players. Uh, But I think he doesn't have much of a future with this team. So I would rather get rid of Daniels at this point than Shaq or Reed, if at all possible. Yeah, some of the websites I saw had Daniel House and Alec Peters on on our 50-man roster too. I don't think there's any way that those guys... No. Yeah, they're already already done. Alec Peters hasn't played particularly well in Summer League either. Um, he could get signed to a two-way maybe. George King is already occupying one of our two-way contract spots. But remember, we have another guy that we can sign to a two-way contract. Maybe that guy is Alec Peters. Um, maybe it's Jack Cooley. Who knows? Yeah, that would be great. All right, so Reddit user the Conboy 22 asked for recommendations on Suns bars in the Valley. And the only one I could think of, I know this isn't quite your question, Sam, but the only one I could think of was Marley's. It's owned by Dan Marley. It's close to the arena. And I think it's actually kind of a disappointing uh, thing that there's not any, there really isn't any. So I apologize that I'm not coming up with one, but the Suns will be good soon and they're on the come up. So maybe it's us to up to us, anyone listening, maybe our people on Reddit, it's up to us to kind of find a bar and make it the Suns bar because it would be fun to have a place to go hang out with Suns fans when you don't want to pay the $5 it takes to get into Suns games. (laughs) Someone needs to start the timeline bar. All right. Someone do it. I, we could do it ourselves, but we don't have any money, and I'm not in Arizona, but someone yep. someone needs to do it. If you build it, they will come. All right. Let's Reddit user of Javo Bars B95. What do you guys think is the best case scenario for the 1819 Suns? And does that scenario include a playoff uh, spot? I think no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Just no. Uh, I would say a realistic best-case scenario is 35-36 wins. I think actually the over-under is set at 35 wins, which is actually pretty high, I thought. That's really high. A 14-win jump is tough, especially when your biggest free agent signing is Trevor Reza. Um, The historical precedent here, if DeAndre Ayton is Tim Duncan, the Spurs jumped from 20 to 56 wins once. That happened once in history. I don't think it's going to happen to us. 
Um, and and remember, in 2013-14, everything gelled for us. We didn't expect it to. We won 48 games. We should have made the playoffs, but we didn't because the West is brutal. I could see that as like a more unrealistic best-case scenario. We get to 48-ish wins. Uh, everything would need to click. I mean, absolutely everything. No one gets injured. Everyone's playing their best basketball. So I agree with you. 35 wins is probably more what would make hap- uh, me happy. I think that that line will actually move down before the season starts. I think people are going to hammer the under on that one. All right, so the next one by uh, Reddit user Sports Stuffs. Hey, I'd love to know which teams are some of your favorite to watch on League Pass. Suns can't play every night. Who do you like to watch uh, when they're not on the floor? I watch basketball during the season probably every night. So I do have other teams. Um, Some of them I might not have on there anymore. The first one I had is the 76ers. I'm kind of mad at Joel Embiid right now after he slandered our number one pick once again. Uh, but uh, they're fun to watch. They're, it's fun to watch a giant player like Ben Simmons handle the ball. Uh, you know, that I love that. It's really fun. The other teams I have, I like the Utah Jazz, mostly because of um, that math teacher they have, Joe Ingles. It's just fun to watch a guy that doesn't look like he should be that good at basketball play basketball. Portland for Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. Miami, because I still enjoy watching Goran Dragic. And Houston, because I still enjoy watching P.J. Tucker. But those Houston games can be brutal to watch sometimes. Who do you have? Houston, easily for me, in terms of a, an actual like really good team, I love the Rock has got me so excited for the Western Conference Finals because I got so tired of Warriors' dominance and I thought they finally had a chance. I was rooting for Mike D'Antoni, P.J. Tucker, and I really like watching James Harden play. Um, and also, I've thought Chris Paul was underrated for years. I, I always thought it was uh, really crappy that he sort of had it held against him and his legacy, the fact that he couldn't make it deep into the playoffs. So I was really rooting hard for them. Didn't happen, but I still will be catching a lot of Houston games, even if they probably got worse. Um, In terms of other teams, the Nuggets, who I mentioned before, I think they have a great young core and a really interesting team to watch gel and grow moving forward. Um, The Bucks, as well as another young and -and up-and-coming team, not the biggest fan of watching Eric Bledsoe, but just Giannis. (laughs) I mean, how can you hate? Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to be the next Dirk Nowitzki, I think. Um, Okay, they have a real coach now? They have a real coach. But they were so frustrating to watch. Well, and their interim (laughs) coach, Joe Prunty, is with us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take of that what you will but Giannis is just such a physical specimen he's, he's a great guy to watch there's no you can't hate him you can't hate that guy um, and then the one other team I included on there who they're probably going to be really bad but I think is a fascinating experiment in terms of what the modern NBA is all about the Orlando Magic because between Aaron Gordon who they just re-signed to probably way too much money Jonathan Isaac who I know a lot of Suns fans were high on last year and Mo Bamba who I know even some Suns fans were high on this year uh, that's a lot of length um, and and talk about switchable defense. I think that's going to be a really, really fun defense to watch. I think their offense is going to be absolutely abysmal. But if you just got one good backcourt pair with those three, um, that could be really fascinating to sort of watch that experiment of let's just draft players with wingspans to the max, just watch a play out on the basketball court. That could be really interesting, but that offense is going to be brutal, so I don't know how much time brutal. I'm going to spend watching Totally them. brutal. Totally brutal, but I'll watch them for the defense. All right, next one. Reddit user Last Leaf said, seeing as Booker and Warren are the only proven players, proven players in quotes, which is probably right, how many of Jackson, Aiton, Chris, Bender, Bridges, Okobo, Harrison, and even Reed need to make a jump this season to really set us up for a solid 35-40 to 40 win season and be in good shape for the playoffs the following season. I think the number one most important player to be really good in order for that to happen 
is actually not a player he listed. I think it would be Brandon Knight because Hell Brandon yeah. Knight appears to be our starting point guard. Yeah. And if Brandon Knight comes back and all of a sudden he's playing defense, he gets back to scoring 20 points a game, he plays well off the ball so Booker can handle the ball more often, then that's the only way. I don't see it really – and I don't see that, right? I, I don't – I. Knight needs to prove it. He's in, he's on a prove it year. He was injured. He didn't pl- play well before he was injured, so he he's got to prove it. So I don't see that happening. But that's the most important one. And then you can say uh, uh, Josh Jackson, of course, DeAndre and and Ariza is huge on that. Do you have any other players? One of Chris or Bender needs to show up. I mean, Trevor Ariza can't play forty eight minutes at at power forward. We need a legitimate power forward to come in and fill some of those minutes. Um, so you know, if one of those guys is probably going to be playing like twenty minutes in a in a backup role there. And if both of them are just as bad, yeah, say goodbye to 35, 40 wins. Right. I don't, I just, I, 35 is a best case scenario for us. And I think we should be happy if we get 35 wins. I don't, I, I don't, the, the West is brutal. It's we brutal. just have to not forget that the it's West brutal. is brutal. All right. Next one Reddit user, championship or bust? It's going to be uh, a bust, kind of my a long guy. Question. <laughs> if you're trying to apply that to the Suns, but. What he said is that basically the godfather Gambadoro is reporting that we want to make a trade for a power forward. He listed some power forwards, Kevin Love, who I think I don't think is going to be on the trade market. Actually, Paul Millsap, Lamarcus Aldridge, or other ones. I think maybe it's possible if the Cavs just totally suck that Kevin Love could be on the trade market. But do we want him if they totally suck? I don't know. Um, so. I don't. I, it was very difficult for me to find any power forwards. There's one I want to talk about, but did you have any that you could find that would be a good trade targets? No, actually, I I think the the power forward market right now is kind of weird. Like he mentions Millsap in his comment. Um, the Nuggets are trying to compete. I don't think they're going to trade Millsap. The Spurs maybe they give up on Lamarcus Aldridge, but I kind of think the Lamarcus Aldridge ship has sailed for us. Um, even if they go into full rebuild mode. Um, I don't know. Blake Griffin isn't that good anymore, and he's making way too much money. Kevin Love is going to be a free agent. We could just wait it out and chase him in free agency. If you're talking about established power forwards, there aren't many names on the market for us. Now, the one I wanted to talk about, just because there are some people talking from mostly from the ringer that I've heard, is if the Warriors have to move on from one of their core four, the most likely candidate to move on from is Draymond Green. And Draymond Green would just be a perfect fit on this team. He's a great passer. He's an excellent, you know, defensive player of the year caliber defender. He can shoot sometimes, uh, but he's a good fit next to DeAndre Ayton. If he does become available, not only do I think that he would be a great fit, but I actually think that we would, that's the type of player that we would think to move maybe someone like Josh Jackson or try to try to push some, some chips into the center of the table to try and make a move. He's a proven championship level player. I don't think it's going to happen for the record. So don't, don't flame me on Twitter or on Reddit. I don't think it's going to happen, but talk about a fun team to just imagine. All right. Reddit user Alidi 13 said, do you think we can roll with Knight Okobo Knight slash Okobo at point guard this season, or will we bring someone like Milos in now that the Clippers have 17 people on their roster and it looks like he may be on his way out? This question was clearly written before Shaquille Harrison boomed on the entire 76ers roster because clearly Shaquille Harrison is playing for a roster spot at this point. Um, I don't think that we have a great point guard situation, but I do think that we will be going into the season with those three guys as our point guards because I just don't see any other options at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say I agree with that. Um, Milos is, is cool. I don't know if he's the best option for us. I, I mean, what what does he really add? 
to this roster? Like, what what's the goal of age. getting age and experience? More cigarette smoking. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I can see it if Knight really struggles, the whole situation becomes disastrous. In that type of situation, it would be good to have Milos. Yeah. Um, I don't. See I, it. I'm just not sold on it yet. That's all Same. I'll say about it now. Yeah, let's fly. Let's fly through a, a few of them here. So, uh, Reddit user, uh, another mod actually, Chaos Dunk Theory said, "What is your favorite Suns game you've ever watched?" I know you don't. You've probably never seen the Suns in person. Um, so sorry. For me, I have uh, by the was... way at, at MSG in oh. place, just not. Oh, yeah, in Phoenix. Well, that will be your favorite one then, right? Or uh, you could actually no, say actually. the best one you've watched on TV. Yeah, yeah. Best one on TV for me um, when Dragic boomed on the Spurs uh, in 2010, blew up on them. Uh, just nice vengeance in that game uh, because I hated the Spurs so much. That was so satisfying. That was our, that's, the, that's our championship in recent years, basically. It's, it's the closest we've ever come in, in, in to that feeling. Uh, for me, the best one I saw in person was when Gerald Green scored 40 points against OKC. I was there. The Suns won in that 48-win season. Dragic played great. Those OKC games are always so fun. There's something about Westbrook coming to Phoenix. You know, If you ever have a chance and you live in Phoenix and OKC's here, go watch it. It's always good. Um, next one, Reddit user Schoolfish said, would you rather fight one dragon bender sized Isaiah Thomas or 100 Isaiah Thomas sized dragon benders? What do you think, Sam? Uh, I, I think one bender sized Thomas. I mean, that much scrappiness in a big body like that, I'd probably die. But the reality of the other way around is just, I'm 5'9", and I'd be taking on 100 5'9 sized guys. Like, I don't, the sheer mass of that. I, I don't, I don't really, this is kind of a lose-lose for me, so... I disagree. I would fight uh, 100 Isaiah Thomas-sized Dragon Benders because there's no way Dragon Bender can fight. <laughs> we don't know. Do we know that for sure? Yeah, you're probably right. There's no way. There's no, no way. way. He's so nice. Although he posted up twice today, so he's so nice. <laughs> he's a, diff- and he he's a different a player now. He hit that turnaround uh, little mid-range yep. fadeaway. He's Dirk now. Ben Dirk. All right. So let's let's fly through a few more. Uh, let's see what oh, this one's way too long. I think let's just choose one player. He said, this is from Reddit user Jay Hadi. Uh, I think, uh, might've addressed this a bit in your podcast already, but what aspect of each player's game would you like to see them improve on this off season? Choose one player and one aspect go, uh, TJ Warren, uh, buying into the offense and, and being a playmaker. Um, yeah, that's basically it. We've talked about it forever, but yep. I say TJ Warren and shooting. (laughs) Yeah, he has two things to work on. So So Reddit user Friend Eater. uh, He said, can user Friend Eater be on the podcast? Sure. I don't know when, but sure. Uh, What is the likelihood? Just to to expand on that real quick, because I feel like then a lot of people are going to ask to be on the podcast. The program we currently use to record this only allows us to have ourselves. It only allows us to have two tracks on at once. We would need to figure out a a better long-term solution for when we want to have guests on the podcast because we do. Um, but yeah, right now, none of you guys can be on. Sorry about that. <laughs> what is the likelihood Suns make a run at Kevin Love? We talked about that earlier. We'll uh, ignore that one for now. And what would it look like? Also, are the Suns contenders to land Anthony Davis in 2020? Uh, I, I Just to recap on Kevin Love, we think it's unlikely. He's going to be a free agent. Um, but the Anthony Davis question, I actually think that the Suns have built this team 
in mind to have cap space open with for Anthony Davis. If we strike out in free agency next year, that cap space will be available the following year. I expect some short deals to keep that cap space open. I know it's very unlikely. Anthony Davis, though, is one of those players that you just have to go for if he's available. So we should try. Yeah, we need to try. We need to prove that we're a lot better than the Pelicans by then, though, and we have a long way to go. I agree. All right, Reddit user NBA Youngboy42, since we're going to have a ton of cap space opening up, who do you see us pursuing next summer? We talked about this. I said Kyrie Irving. I think Kevin Love is a huge possibility, and it makes sense. I think he's a good fit next to eight and defensive front court wise. It doesn't sound great, but offensively, that would be really good. Uh, and then, of course, Kemba Walker and Ricky Rubio. You talked about Dragic. Anyone else that we missed there? Well, I think there's about a 0% chance he leaves his current situation, but Clay is a free agent. Um, I would move Booker to point guard in an instant if it meant we could pair him with Clay. That'd be a fantastic backcourt. So I would throw a max contract at him, but yeah, I just he has no real reason to come here. So just another name to throw yeah. out. And uh, a Reddit user and uh, Schoolfish also asked about NBA. Is it too soon uh, for 2019 free agent targets? Yes. Wait till next year. Right. <laughs> we just talked about it for like 20 minutes in this podcast though. So I just wanted to make sure we said his name on the podcast. All right. Do you value TJ as much as the average role player says Reddit user destructive optimism? <laughs> uh, yes. I think he's better than an average role player, but also it's difficult because he's a, he's a hard fit on this team. So I don't know. What do you think about this question? I think he's a better than average role player. I think something that we forget Two guys that kind of TJ reminds me of in his potential trajectory are Brad Beal and DeMar DeRozan in the sense that both of those guys sort of hit this 24-year-old age. They had just finished up their fourth season and it kind of hit a stagnant point in their careers where they hadn't really gotten any better for two or three years. And then their fifth season came and they exploded and that's when they sort of ascended to the level of reserve all-star status. So we shouldn't rule out the possibility that TJ could do the same thing. I mean, I definitely think it's too early to give up uh, on him, but we've talked about his weaknesses plenty of times before we know what he has to work on so we'll just see if he does it yeah i agree let's fly through a couple of these at what stat line would you start to consider eight and having a bad rookie uh year this is also from destructive optimism and at the flip side what would you consider him to be a future hall of fame rookie year type player so less than a to me it's less than a double double if he's i think that if he gets the minutes it's hard to say how many minutes he's going to play and as long as he stays healthy of course he should be averaging a double double i don't i would say 15 points 10 rebounds anything less than that is slightly disappointing but we just talked about anthony davis's stats so you know it doesn't really always tell us what kind of player they're going to be in the future of course, if he averages over 20 points and over 10 rebounds, that's the type of thing where you know that we're set up good in the future. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think it's less about basic box score stats and all, and all about intangibles, maybe. Um, I'm going to be looking at his efficiency. I'm going to be looking at how much he fouls, uh, like a guy like Marquise Chris did. Um, you know, So if he's committing three or four fouls in 20 minutes per game, which I don't expect him to do because it wasn't really a problem in college, but just theoretically, and he's shooting less than 50% from the floor, then yeah, I'm going to be worried about DeAndre Ayton. Um, but the box score stats, the basic uh, points, rebounds, not too worried about that at his age. Like I said, Okafor averaged 17 and 7 his rookie season. Just because Aiton does it wouldn't mean that he's a future Hall of Famer. And Reddit user Pickled Imagination, <laughs> he stated, uh, well, it was kind of a longer message, and he, he had a lot of concerns about Brandon Knight as our future point guard. 
I would say to that, your concerns are valid. We talked about him. He's on a prove-it year to me. I just don't see us rolling into the season with any other point guard at this point, so sorry. Yeah, you have reason to be scared, but uh, we're probably going to have to suck it up. Yeah, I mean, we're we're about a month away from all of us talking about Brandon Knight with severe optimism that is unfounded. <laughs> the puff piece is coming. And, uh, yep, Reddit user Earl's Depression said, what should we realistically expect from Bender this year stat-wise? It depends on the amount of minutes he plays. What do you think? Realistically or optimistically? Mm, let's say realistically. Yeah, like eight or nine points per game, four or five rebounds per game, one block, hopefully 40% from three. That that would be my hope. Maybe more realistically, like nine 36, turnovers. 37. Yeah, nine turnovers. Um, but yeah, I think that's realistic. I don't think he's going to get enough minutes to go into. He's not a high usage player to begin with. And he's going to get fewer minutes because of us mm-hmm. bringing in Ariza. I just don't see how he averages like 10 or 15 mm-hmm. points per game. So he averaged three points basically in his rookie season, six points in his sophomore season. Eight points, I would say, is a realistic expectation for his third-year season. Uh, quickly on this one, uh, who are your favorite Suns Reddit users, active or retired, says Michael Porter PHX. Sorry that we didn't draft Michael Porter. Uh, I'm guessing he made that uh, username a long time ago. <laughs> probably probably when when porter was in like the first pick discussion right i'm gonna give a quick shout out to user cormac most he had a great connection to our former coach great connection he's, he's gone he's i have it gone. right here i have it right here can i just read it <laughs> yeah, out sure for those this one deserves a little bit more time this is march 24th 2014 we're winding it back right now on the reddit community um user cormac most blesses us with a post and, and i looked and i didn't actually comment in this post which i'm a little disappointed at because now it's archived but great connection is the title first of all goran dragic is a beast second he should give himself some attention so people will really will realize how good he is hope i can help by talking to coach h oh wait i can he lives right by me oh wait he lives in phoenix but his family and his real home is right by me in suburbs of chicago his kids went to school with me Thank you, Cormac Most. He would make several more posts along the same lines uh, in the next year or so. Um, user Brux C, who was the OG mod who created our sons, commented. He had the top comment on this Legend. post. Haha, this post is so terrible. It's hysterical. And then Orange, or Mike, you yourself um, responded, I think we should make it the top post of all time in this sub, which for a while <laughs> it might have been. It only got 60 upvotes, but 60 upvotes on our sons <laughs> four years ago is like, Wow, guys, we've come a long way. So, yeah, big shout out to him. Don't know where he went, but um, hopefully he still has that connection to Jeff Hornacek. Yep. Uh, shout out to the Redditor who I f- should have written his name down, but just posted that story about Josh Jackson approaching him in Vegas. He was wearing a Josh Jackson jersey. Josh Jackson walked up to him and thanked him. Um, you know, it's a really cool story. Find it on Reddit. I also tweeted it out. That's a really cool story, too. Um, so let's see. Crazy SoCo Kid. Uh, on Reddit, can you guys talk about Josh M. Effer Jackson and what you expect from him this season? Uh, what do you expect from Josh Jackson this season? We talked about him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just just to give my quick expect? analysis, I mean, I think his touches probably go down a little bit. He's not going to get the same sort of touches he got at the end of the season. Booker will be back on the floor. Add DeAndre Ayton and Trevor Reza. And I expect probably similar minutes per game. I don't think he's going to get 30 or 35 minutes. So I'd like to see his efficiency go up, plain and simple. Like 47% from the field, 32% from three, like still below average, but 
a big improvement over last year and like 70% from the free throw line, that wouldn't make him the most efficient offensive player ever, but would be a big step up in each of those categories. And uh, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. One thing I want to point out is I watched a lot of uh, Igor's offense uh, from Serbia, Serbia film, and even in this summer league. And a lot of it has two primary ball handlers. And I assume that those two primary ball handlers in the starting lineup will be Knight and Booker. But in any lineup that has Booker and Josh Jackson, I would like that secondary ball handler to be Josh Jackson in these lineups. I just think that's something that if he gets really great at, it's going to be really beneficial for the team. So I, I, I want him to work on his ball handling, his playmaking. I think that's an important thing for him. Um, so let's move on. Reddit user Pizus22, what are your realistic ceilings for Bridges and Okobo this season? Here's what I said. Bridges has the potential to be a valuable role player right now. And Okobo could be a top 10 rookie, and I really believe that. Now, I know it's it's he probably won't, and I, I preface it with that. He probably won't. But he has the potential to be one of those players that people are like, wow, I did not expect him to be this good. I think he fell under the radar a bit. A realistic expectation, though, Probably a backup backup point guard, maybe a third stream point guard, working his way to that backup position by the end of the season, maybe averaging eight points, four assists, something like that. Yeah, I think Okobo's really going to need to fight for his playing time, Mike. So he could be a top 10 rookie in this class. I agree with you. I think it was a steal, but I don't think his rookie season is going to be as impressive as Bridges. I think Bridges will be good. Um, OG Anunnaby type production out of Bridges. Like He's just going to be a clear role player from the start yeah if he has star potential we'll see but he's gonna have a positive impact on the court like he could even play for a playoff team this year yep i agree i think there is a possibility with bridges to have a jason tatum type season where it's just completely unexpected how good he is i don't think it's likely but mikhail bridges i just i'm a huge fan of mikhail bridges if you can't tell um, let's see. Reddit user tied four 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 tied with a Y. He said, "What are your expectations winning wise for the Suns?" We talked about it. We both expect around thirty five wins. It sounds like. But he said also, "How much do you think Igor has to accomplish with the Suns in his first season to be in talks for Coach of the Year, uh, or even be in the forefront of that dis- discussion?" And shout out to him. He's from Baltimore. He said he's the only Suns fan in Baltimore. He might be right. How many wins do you think the Suns need to win in order for Igor to be in the Coach of the Year? Uh, uh, well, let's throw it back to 2014, 48. Uh, Jeff Hornacek lost that year, but he won 48 games. He was in the conversation. I think that's what we're looking at, like high 40s, playoff seed. If Igor can do that, yeah. he'll get nods. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, E1 it. <laughs> he said, I've heard of many teams hiring consultants for players such as Steve Nash in Golden State. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, who would you... <laughs> think would be an ideal consultant for the Suns to hire, and Nash is not available. Grr. He said he loves the pod. Thank you. Uh, L does it? I'm going to say it's L does it. Um, the one player I thought of, I know he works with other teams, is Kevin Garnett. If Kevin Garnett can, can be hired as a consultant for the Suns to work with DeAndre Ayton, I would love that. Now, I've heard he's a big fan of Mo Bamba, of course, you know, a giant uh, defensive type player, uh, Kevin Garnett might end up go going to work with him in Orlando, but that would be a great mentor for Aiton. Uh, any other players that you would think would be good? We need aggressiveness. I have this idea: we bring in Big Baby Davis and Kendrick Perkins to work with Marquise Chris <laughs> and Dragon Bender. Have them get into a death match. Loser gets eaten alive by the two <laughs> aforementioned mentors. Uh, they can definitely eat. Also solves our log jam. By the way, yeah, that's true. I'm not saying I'm a genius, mm-hmm. folks. But think about it. 
A baby cannot eat a baby, but a big baby Davis can eat a bender. <laughs> facts. Absolutely. Hashtag facts. So, what is a realistic win loss record? Said DJ Block 122012. We talked about that. So, hopefully, you got that question answered. Um, Shakim, S H A K M, says, Which Suns players get the toughest assignments on defense against elite point guards, wings, and bigs? I love this question. It's the last serious question we got. Um, here's the thing, though. I think that most of the time we're going to guard positionally. I think that Knight will be guarding the point guard if he starts, Booker's shooting guard, and down the line, whoever starts with Aiton guarding the center. But I do think there's some scenarios where uh, Mikhail Bridges and Josh Jackson end up getting put on uh, point guard scenario uh, in in some scenarios where point guards are clearly the best players on the team and we can hide Booker on a wing. Uh, maybe teams like portland or uh the celtics or something like that okc yeah okc is a good example uh what do you think no i i agree that i was going to say the same thing um i think we saw josh jackson like guard russell westbrook a bit in games like that Mm -hmm. last season um and i would expect we saw josh jackson guard centers he's he's kind of guarded every position yeah in in his rookie year he has um yeah so i i would say that's the route that we're going to continue to take i mean look if shaq harrison blows up then we know we have a good defensive point guard in him if we want to put him on Lillard or Westbrook or Wall or Curry whoever we're playing um but I think it's more likely that in in clutch situations if we can hide Booker we're gonna hide Booker and we're gonna put Josh Jackson Bridges we're gonna bring them out to the forefront where they can focus on their strengths yeah and also Ariza yeah oh yeah yeah totally that does those. And and here's the other thing. I know we've been talking about this a lot, but we need to see lineups with Ariza, Bridges, and Jackson. We just need to see that. That just sounds so fun to watch. We have to watch uh, you know, that defensive team together on the court. So I hope that happens. Last one from maybe the best Reddit user we have. His username is Sarver Sucks. He says, can sense so much chemistry on the pod, which at first I thought, oh, thank you. And then he said, when are you guys going on a date? People are waiting. So, Sam, are you buying? Uh, I'll think about that one and I'll get back to you. Yeah, maybe Sarver Sucks can send us money. Um, yeah. uh, the big thing is, I want actually, I wrote this down for, for a reason. One, I wanted to answer every question in the Reddit thread. Thank you to everyone who gave us questions. And two, that we're may hoping, not always happen in the future. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we're hoping some at some point in the future, Sam can actually come from New York and we can watch some games in person. Hopefully, you'll get to hear us record a podcast. Uh, together in the same room at some point sorry we're not going to date i have a girlfriend but hopefully we do actually get to hang out and see a game together at some point in the future i can't wait and that's all we got you got anything else Uh, no that was was a long one a lot of questions guys long one so you know it's your own fault you gave us a lot of questions of course we're going to answer them we're just so dedicated to the sport uh so you know hopefully this is good for your long commute wherever you are and uh yeah we'll talk to you again in what i guess early next week what are we talking about yep uh we'll see (laughs) (laughs) thanks everyone for listening don't forget to follow us on twitter Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.